podcast focused on lessons learned via the musician's backstory, as well as building successful careers in the business. My name is Allison M., and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. Let's get down to business. On today's show, we have Lexi Signar. She is, let me pull up her bio here. She is a trumpet professor at Indiana State University, a career freelance musician, and online content creator whose recent accolades include being, uh, being on a TED Talk, commission of a new trumpet solo work with Robert Patterson, several trumpet arrangements debuted with the Virtual Trumpet Ensemble, featured trumpet and vocals yeah. with the VTE at over 245,000 followers on TikTok, what? Which has revolutionized the way musicians gain traction in the online community. And so welcome to the show, Alexi. I'm so glad to have you. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I have so many things to ask you today. <laughs> but Ask away. I love answering questions. I actually used to go take interviews for fun uh, because I'm, what is it, a masochist when you hate yourself. Um <laughs> Yeah. And I just love it. I love answering questions. So I would literally like go like apply for random jobs when I was like in my master's and my, in my doctoral work so that I could get really good at interviewing. Um, I would literally go just interview for random jobs. I've never not been offered a job if I was given an interview. Um, and I feel like I'm pretty much like ironclad for interviewing. I love it when people ask me questions. So awesome. Then you are on game on. Okay. (laughs) Do it. (laughs) <laughs> Beautiful. So one of the first questions I want to ask is like, so we actually met through virtual brass playing. Um, and and you're, you're the first guest that I'm having on the Musicians Venture, Venture podcast that um, is not from Wisconsin originally. And that's OK, because I want to broaden this to like musicians anywhere, um, even though we're based in Wisconsin. We met through online playing. Um, we did not know each other before we were put together in a, a virtual ensemble, which has been really, really fun to try throughout this pandemic in 2020 here. Um, and I love what you are doing online with your music. And so I want to hear more about what you're doing. Like, tell me about this TikTok thing, for instance, and the other, <laughs> like, what's the story there? How do you get so many followers so fast? And I want to just hear about your virtual stuff. Thanks. Um, so the TikTok thing is a really funny story. Um, and I love that we're starting there because it really accidentally, and I do mean accidentally, um, launched me into an entire world that made me very, very good at music tech or very, very good at technology really fast, uh, just out of necessity. So the virtual trumpet ensemble back in September or I think it was like late August, we were talking about doing 12 days of Halloween and doing like a a video and like an ensemble recording every week of October, which turned out to be a little bit much. Uh, So we ended up only doing one, uh, one recording in October, but we've moved that, that those arrangements, you know, throughout the year. Now, now some of those arrangements are going to be debuted later. Um, But one of them uh, I said, and so Joe Leva, the man who runs the ensemble, he uh, he sort of canvassed the group and said, hey, does anybody arrange or would anybody like to arrange something for, you know, our 12 days of, of Halloween? And I said, sure, no problem. I can I can arrange stuff. And I um, as you'll hear in my TED talk, when you eventually listen to it, I have magical superpowers when it comes to arranging. Um, if I'm given pre-existing material, I can usually do either a carbon copy arrangement in four hours or I can do an original ar- arrangement in four hours. But it's just it's very like formulaic for me, it's not hard for me to do. So I cranked out a seven trumpet and bass trumpet and rhythm section uh, arrangement of, uh, I put a spell on you for Hocus Pocus, um, featuring myself as Winifred Sanderson singing the tune because I also sing. And um, so I, I pitched it to the group, they thought it was great. And I was hoping that it would be like a feature for the women of the VTE because there are only a few of us as per use in Brassland. Um, <laughs> And so I gave them all the top, you know, the top three trumpet parts were all the women of the ensemble that I was singing. I laid out on the lead stuff because um, Christy Wands is a nasty lead trumpet player. She's from Oklahoma um, and she was playing lean on it. And so 
we put this thing together and I just, I like doing like really thorough costumes when I do videos. Like you probably saw in the Mandalorian, yeah. like I had the tattoo. I even had like the, the resistance tattoo. up. Yes. Here. I loved that. Thank you. Yeah. You and I copied the makeup look right off of like all of the branded Star Wars stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't know what that actress's name is, but I did my best impression. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so for Winifred, um, it, it was an easy costume because it was basically Halloween time. So I went and bought the costume. It's just a stock costume. Um, I added like another, like an under, I guess, uh, underdress with like longer sleeves. So it looked more like the original movie. I happened to own a lot of like witchy jewelry because I used to work in the store in Mackinac city, Michigan, uh, which is now owned by my friend, Tracy Crockett. And I bought all of this beautiful, um, hand, I guess it's hand spun brass, bronze and copper jewelry. And she was like, I can't get rid of it. Like I, I bought it and now it's sitting here and I can't get rid of it. So I bought it like from her because I love her business and I used to work there. Um, but also because it was gorgeous and I needed it. Uh, so I added some of those pieces and some earrings and stuff to an already existing costume. And I styled the wig myself. Um, all of these details ended up being really important. Um, even down to the teeth. Like I got the, the scarecrow Bucky like teeth, like Winifred oh. has. And I had to relearn to enunciate with those teeth. It was a hell of a thing. Um, but anyway, I literally did one video. Like I've been a casual TikToker up until October, no, up until late September um, for a year. I just been doing some trumpet stuff. I yeah. just been doing like some snarky videos, doing some dance videos because that's what people do. And it was just sort of a fun little pastime and I didn't really think much of it. And uh, I literally did one TikTok. I, I scrolled through my favorite audios and I picked this audio of, I don't even know what the band is, but the song is, drop them out. Let me see them titties. Let me take a look at them big old babies. And I, I like pulled up the audio. I'm like, oh, this is really funny. I can do Winifred. Winifred discovers TikTok. And when it, like, while simultaneously Winifred discovers a cell phone, like, woo, what is this magical window that makes noise? And um, I like, it, <sighs> I forgot about my theatrical background, but I have a lot of theatrical background. I just don't use it um, because I, I chose, I remember like being a kid, being in high school and going, okay, well I could be a professional actor or I could be a professional musician and neither has a lot of money associated with it, but I think I got a better <laughs> shot in music. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I did this TikTok where Winifred discovers TikTok and a cell phone and she's like poking at it and she's like sort of listening to the song and then drop my out, let me see the titties. Then she realizes what's being talked about and she gets really offended and she like looks in her shirt like, huh? And then she's like, ew, <laughs> you're gross, weird window thing that video now has over seven hundred and fifty thousand views oh my god tip of the iceberg i now have videos that have two million views wow and like people just really enjoyed like the fun and frivolousness of winifred it was early and then there was this whole thing like oh my gosh 2020 is so terrible that somebody lit the black flame candle and now we have winifred sanderson and i just took it and ran i just like all right I got the ball now. Bye. And so I ran with it. Um, the costume was for a trumpet ensemble video. It was not for Winifred <laughs> proper at all. So none of this is really necessarily tied into your musician life. It's more just like it's theatrical. Both. I mean, it was? Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, so what happened was transformative in a lot of ways. So what happened was, oh, people really like this. So I started doing some more Winifred content. In having done Winifred content, I was looking at the other content that other cosplay creators were like were doing. And I was figuring out how they were doing it. In doing all of that, I'm now able to, I can crank out like a, a short form trumpet instructional video in like five minutes. Just boom, 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 edit, 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 and here you go. And I did a few of those for the virtual trumpet ensemble. Joe said, hey, does anybody have... Um, any ideas on, could you do like your favorite pro tips for trumpet stuff? And you may have seen that stuff online. Yeah. Yeah. All of those skills came from developing Winifred. Wow. 
It's a super yeah, it's easy so video cool. editor. I highly recommend it. But here's where here's where the rubber meets the road on the music side. Yeah. So my partner, his name is Jay Webb. He's a professional freelance distributor on the East Coast. He, like many, has had to pivot into another industry. He's now working for a cabinet company. But at night, he comes home and he does musical stuff because it feeds our soul. So I had been giving him crap about not being on TikTok or or not doing TikToks. I'm like, dude, people need to hear you play. Like he's easily one of the best trumpet players in the business. And that's coming from a fellow lead trumpet player. Like this dude's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he's like, no, no, no. It's just girls like hanging the bits out for people to see. No, no, no. And I'm like, <laughs> no, really, it's cool. Like there are artists debuting music on here because what's happening in the industry now is major artists like Cardi B, like Jason Mraz, like Andy Grammer are, are they're, bait, they're using TikTok to beta test populations. And what they're doing when you have any background in marketing whatsoever, even just this much, um, you can sit there on TikTok and you can scroll and you can follow their stuff and go, oh, oh, I see what they're doing. They'll release 30 seconds of this single and 30 seconds of this single as an audio, as a usable audio. Whichever one picks up the most traffic is the one that they release. Oh, so wow. they're using it as a live market space to do research and just go, oh, so this is working? All right, we'll go with that one. And so, huh. and so I explained this to Jay and he's like, all right, okay, I'll give it a try. So what Jay likes to do is pop stuff. He, he stacks horns. Like one of one of our many jobs as, you know, virtual musicians is to create, you know, horn parts for things that wouldn't otherwise have horn parts, or maybe we're being like booked to do, you know, horn parts for a pop album or whatever it is. And so Jay, uh, likes to stack flugelhorn and trumpet stuff on existing pop stuff and he'll do it live. Like he'll do live sessions doing exactly that using, um, garage band and, uh, an interface setup. But what makes his stuff so interesting is that he has his technology rigged in such a way that he can perform live with good acoustics. It doesn't sound like he's playing into a tin can. The sound is so good and so high quality that he'll stack all of his stuff and then he'll perform the lead line live in TikTok. People have lost their minds for this. People have just totally gone bonkers for it. That he's done One Direction, he's done Disney, he's done everything you can think of. And what's really cool to me about what he's doing, um, and I'm grateful that I poked him with a sharp stick until he did it, um, is that there are young musicians now that are like, wait a minute, so that's the instrument that makes that sound? That's what that does? I wanna do that. And so we're bridging the gap using TikTok between, you know, those of us who have been around a while and know what instruments are and how they work and what they do to, you know, we have to remember that our, our beginner students have, may not have ever heard a live instrument in their lives. They might right. think that movie soundtracks are all just computers. And huh. so now we can use TikTok and be like, no, this is the thing that does that. Right. Check this out. And then more young people are getting interested in studying an instrument and becoming musicians and perpetuating this art that all of us have slaved for for decades. Right. Um, and so it's really a many faceted uh, sort of journey that started with a Disney character. But, um, you know, I've learned so much about the online music industry and how we market and like what larger artists are doing and how they're collaborating using these short form platforms. I mean, anybody, any musician who's not on TikTok is missing a golden opportunity, really. I loved seeing like what you were doing with it and just learning about, I mean, this is fascinating to me. Uh, and you were doing it before the pandemic. You know, oh, you, yes. were, you were dipping your feet into it, like, you know, already, but, but this definitely helped you to get, to get in there. And so tell me more about the virtual trumpet ensemble. What's, when did that start? And, and how is that, how is that working for you? It's awesome. Okay. So about March, when we were all locked down and feeling real depressed, like we were, we, and I'm sure you experienced this on some level too, you know, you those of us that freelance full-time. So I freelance full-time on top of having a university gig, which may or not, may not be suicide, depending on who you ask. <laughs> um, I watched my calendar go from, I can pay my bills to, oh no, oh no, 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 no. 
no, this is not good. And so we're all sitting at home. We're all feeling really bad about ourselves and really bad about the industry and everything that's going on. And so I actually had never met Joe. I've still never met Joe in person. Um, I've done podcasts with him. I've done God knows how many recordings with him. Um, But I've literally never met the man in person. And one day on Facebook, Joe goes, Hey, is anybody out in trumpet land interested in doing some virtual trumpet ensemble stuff? So I'm thinking like he wants to do, record like Antiphonal Gabrielli stuff like everybody else. And I'm like, ah, sure. What the hell? I don't have anything to lose and I'm bored to tears. So why not? And it turns out that the conglomerate of musicians that ended up being a part of this thing, because it was just a cattle call. It was like, hey, if you want to do this thing, come on, you know, like, come on board. Um And uh, so it ended up being a really cool mishmash of classical musicians and commercial musicians and jazz musicians. Like it was just a mishmash of everything. And um, so at first, uh, I I forget what our first tune was. It might have been, oh, geez, I'd spent so long I don't remember. But anyway, we started doing custom arrangements really early in the ensemble and Joe would write them and we would record them and then he would compile it and put it all into a video. And people really liked it. Like they really liked that we were having fun. Like our, one of our things that sets us apart from other trumpet ensembles, you know, like Monazzle Brass does their thing. It's very high quality. It's very theatrical and, but it's also very scripted, you know, it's like, Oh, you, you took the time to put this together and it, because it is scripted, it can come across, not always, um, as a little sterile, <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh, sure, these sure. are planned. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, or, um, you know, Trombo Mundi, like their gag is that they're all ridiculous trumpet players who do trumpet ensemble arrangements of really hard stuff. Okay, cool. It's yeah. been done before, but good for you. Um, and it's not that they don't have fun doing it. I know half those guys personally, and they're super fun people. But, you know, that's sort of their niche is doing like really hard stuff as a trumpet ensemble, um, you know, and and playing like Joey Tartel plays bass trumpet, he plays alto trumpet. He has all these like weird trumpets. Um, and it's cool. He's my teacher. I, lo- I love the project. And I, I got to listen to a lot of that stuff firsthand. So the virtual trumpet ensemble, because it is not a group that was like handpicked for its members and, and meticulously constructed. We just kind of do whatever the hell we want. Um, and we have a lot of fun with it. I mean, like we, I forget what the first costume video was, but you know, we started sort of doing like silly costumes early on and it's never like, I think I'm the only person in the ensemble that like even would come close to admitting that they're a professional cosplayer because I do get paid to cosplay now. Um, but you know, it's mostly just people like going to Walmart and like, oh yeah, we're going to do a Christmas video. I'm going to get antlers, you know, or like, oh, we're going to do a Halloween video. I'm going to get a little witch hat, you know, like it's silly stuff, um, silly stuff that's accessible that we have fun with. And that's what people really dig. It's just that, you know, we're not so into ourselves on a, on a brass ego level that we're like too good for Walmart costumes. Like, no, I'm going to go spend $2 on my Walmart costume and it's going to be good enough and it's going to be funny and it'll make you smile. And that's what it's about. So that group has really grown a lot. And Joe, oh my gosh, Joe has done an incredible job of marketing and adding podcasts and adding interviews. Like he's really used it as a platform to just, you know, get good information out there to people that are looking for it. Um, and also to chronicle the the lives and opinions and, and experiences of some of the best freaking trumpet players in the industry. Like if you go check out their YouTube page, I mean, he's got interviews with like everybody and he's constantly hustling to get new heavy players in there to interview. Um, So I just, I really like what he's doing and I like the direction that he's going in and I love how inclusive he is. So I'm really grateful to be a part of the project, but it, it really has shaped my pandemic. You know, it's made me a better studio musician. It's made me a better marketer and it made me think a little bit more about my online presence, you know? So, I mean, combination of TikTok and the virtual trumpet ensemble, you know, has, has really, you know, changed the trajectory of my online uh, presence. Uh, how often are you putting music out with them? Uh, about every, well, we do, we definitely do a video every month. Sometimes we do two, but it really just depends on everyone's availability. Um, you know, cause we have lives and stuff. Uh, so this month, this month we have a super exciting special, like the one for the one that's going to come out in December. We have a very special guest artist that is like ultra secret and under wraps, oh, um, but it's going to melt people's brains. It's going to be awesome. 
yeah, it's going to be cool. And then um, for Christmas, we're doing another one of my arrangements. Um, we're doing the Oogie Boogie song that I'm singing yes. and I just got done. My face is like, I, when I asked you about like, okay, how visual is this thing? Um, I'll send you, uh, do you have messenger available? Can you view, oh, yeah. can you view messenger right now? Okay. I'll send you this picture and then you'll see why I'm like, I don't want to put makeup on. My face is so tired. <laughs> ah, here we go. Um, so there's the final product. And oh my God. If you, yeah. It, oh man. I'll have to. So there's the transformation. I'll have to uh, share this the in the program product. notes. Yeah. My skin is so tired. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, wow. Where did you learn how to do all of that? I mean, you have a, a theater background as well. I do have a, yeah, I do have a little bit of a theater background, but I mean, it's not, it's not overly extensive in, in terms of makeup. I usually just sort of figured it out. Um, thankfully, I had incredible teachers in high school. Like I had an amazing art teacher who just by being his, his bubbly, effervescent, ultra hippie self, just taught me all kinds of like good just good rules good artistic techniques about light and shadow and how to make something seem dimensional when it's not um and then my theater teacher you know my theater teacher mrs uh judith ivan um i i owe her so much i mean lord I owe her an entire like online career at this point. And that Ted talk would not have been possible without her because she, <laughs> for lack of a better expression, she beat my vocal pauses out of me. I took her public speaking course. And then I also took, I was in her theater class for three years. Um, but yeah, she, she completely, completely just taught me everything I need to know to be a, an effective person on stage and, you know, not using vocal pauses. Uh, but, you know, just like hyper awareness of what my body is doing and what I'm saying at the same time, which for an autistic person is a daily struggle. I didn't know I had autism at the time. I've actually only recently been diagnosed. Uh, but now looking back at it, I'm like, oh, that's why that class was so darn helpful because <laughs> I have a disconnect. <laughs> so. Got it. Oh, that's fascinating. And, and I wanted to talk about the TED Talk now too. So you just recently did that. Um, so I'm really glad you mentioned that just recently. So tell me more about that and, and how did you get involved with that? And what did you talk about? And how can we find more information on that? Sure. Um, so I've been working at Indiana State University for about a year and a half. We're about to close our sec uh, our first semester of, the, of my second year. And in my email, we get, you know, university emails every week. And so I got this email that said that the, the ISU Women's Resource Center was seeking speakers for a TEDx presentation. I was like, all right, cool. Well, how do I do that? So there's an audition process and you have to submit what you would talk about, um, you know, a video and audio and you have to give them your short bio and your picture. And there's like lots of other hoops to jump through. Um, but I sent all my stuff and I actually didn't really think that they would, they would bite for my Ted talk because some of the stuff I spoke about was, it could be viewed as controversial, um, at least from the university standpoint, because my, my main topic was misogyny, or it's the parallels of misogyny in the freelance world and music education, or in higher education. So that was the build topic. But the, the punchline um, is that I, like in all of these experiences, it was basically just me sharing my experiences uh, with misogyny in the freelance world, which are numerous, uh, and my experiences with misogyny in the higher ed world, which are very recent, very raw, and wrong on a lot of levels. Um, they should, things should not be going the way they are in higher education, in my opinion, if this place is any indicator of what's going on in the world at large. Um, and I went through some real, really bad um, academic sort of hazing my first year. Um, so, you know, I mean, it, I don't want to give away the entire TED talk if you want to go listen to it, but um, basically I did everything that I could. I always do everything that I can to be the best I can at my job. You give me a task, I will do it to the best of my ability. That is how I operate. I don't half-ass anything. That's just not me. And so when they said, okay, you're going to run the jazz ensemble, you're going to teach music, uh, 
intro to music education and run the trumpet studio. I was like, okay, cool. Those are three things I know how to do. I will go do them. So I was bringing in guest artists. I was calling in favors to people on the East coast. I was networking in all of these professional musicians and music directors and educators to come in and work with these kids because we're very secluded here. We're in Southern Indiana. There's not a lot going on. So I was bringing in guest artists and speakers and this and that either in person or online um, like my entire first, you know, my entire first year. And at the end of my first semester, the jazz ensemble gave their, their concert. We worked on our music, you know, as a jazz ensemble does. And it was my first concert out with the ensemble. We played in university hall and I had attempt, uh, I had attended several other concerts given by other professors and they're pretty sparsely attended like university ensemble concerts kind of are. It was mostly music majors in the audience and their parents. And so they would, they would book this, you know, they would book Tilson Auditorium, which I think seats like 650 people. Like it's a big, it's a big auditorium. Um, and it would just be crickets. You know, there'd be like five or six people in the audience. And it's just like, why are you doing this? Um, and I just, I didn't, I didn't really pay, <laughs> I didn't really pay any of that much mind, to be honest. I was just working with my ensemble, trying to help them understand the performance practices associated with big band jazz and just to be the best musicians that they can be. Was it going to be a perfect concert? No, these are students. Is a professional concert a perfect concert? No, we're human. <laughs> like, and it's okay in both cases. You're good. Um, it's about the music. It's about the passion and the emotion behind the music, right? So one thing that I try to do with my audiences when I run big band concerts is I try to help them be a part of the jazz tradition, which is call and response. And this is communication. It is an oral tradition that is passed down through experience, right? So um, there is a portion of the concert where I had the band playing Monia. I had them doing like a Latin on a, like a Latin jazz sort of groove and then playing Monia behind it. Um, and then I was, I was singing with the audience back and forth. I would sing, they would sing back to me and we would, we would improvise and um, you know, it was, a, it was a good time. Um, and when I lead a band, I also, you know, I'm a former front person. I can't not be super animated on stage. It's just not who I am. And so when I, when I lead a band, you know, I start them off like jazz ensemble. You, you start the tune, you walk off stage. You come back, you direct traffic, you go off stage. I had the whole thing filmed, which was, this is, this is the icing on the cake for me personally. Had the whole thing filmed and there were enough audience members. I was really shocked. We were in University Hall and we had enough audience members to darn near fill the first floor. Like they were about to open the balcony and people were dancing and singing and having a great time. And I was being stopped in the halls, like by every other student, just, oh, that was such an amazing concert. Thank you for giving it. You guys sounded great, blah, blah, blah. So all of that happened. And then I get slapped with my first year review where they told me in, in these exact words to tone it down, to behave more in keeping with collegiate decorum while leading my ensemble. I mean, they had every, oh yes, they had every sort of critique you can imagine that didn't have anything to do with my teaching. Um, and so I took them to the mattresses. I took those people in that committee to the mattresses and I said, okay, if these are the things you're going to critique me on, I'm going to provide you a 16 page rebuttal with con consultations from specialists on the subject and, you know, like letters of recommendation, letters of commendation. I, I just rolled in with a book. I'm like, oh, y'all want to play that game? Here you go. <laughs> And um, I was angry and I was, I was appalled. And then I sat back and I went, oh, wait, it's not that I'm not doing a good job. It's that I'm making people look bad. It's that I'm making people jealous of what right. I'm doing or how I'm doing it. And that I have a larger audience than them. And that, my, and that my students actually enjoy being in my class. They like, I, I have so many students who want to be in jazz ensemble. It breaks my heart to have to cut people. Like it breaks my heart to have to like audition and be like, Ooh, sorry, I already have five trumpets and these are them. Sorry. You know what I mean? Like, but, but that was the problem. And so that's part of what my TED talk is about is just like, this has been my entire career. I will go and do something to the best of my ability. And I guess I'm very gifted. I suppose I really just think I'm just trying to do the best job that I can. You know, I don't think I'm necessarily special, but you know, I do a good job and it, the students are, you know, understanding and, and absorbing this. And uh, in every single instance, I am, I am punished. I am punished by the old white men in charge um, 
and I think it's BS. And what's further BS is that no one speaks up about it. No one gets on stage and goes, so this is some crap and it needs to stop. Um, and like I said, when I auditioned for the TED Talk, I really didn't think that they would take me right. because I was essentially throwing a group of old white men under the bus. Much to my surprise, I was given the national stage and I was like, oh. we about to spill some tea. Oh, here we go. Um, and this was done through the so university, I, correct? This was, that? this was done through the university, correct? Yeah. yeah. So we'll see if I have a job next semester, honestly. <laughs> like, I don't know, because it just aired on Thursday. Oh, wow. Yeah, it just aired on Thursday. And I, I honestly don't know. These, some of these people, not all of these people, some of these people are so vindictive that they might try to get my position eliminated or get me eliminated from this position for doing something like that. That's how toxic this environment is. And I'm just sitting here going, all right, if this is all of what higher ed is, like if this is universal, and I've heard that it is, like I've, I've heard this story from so many female educators, so many. I'm like, you know what, if this is what higher ed is, I got two choices. I can either accept it and play their game or I can risk it all and try to make things better. I don't know if it's gonna work, <laughs> but I can try. And you. so I got on stage on my TED talk and I gave that story in, you know, like it's a longer version, obviously. Sure. Um, and, and like I said, the, the punchline is that part of the reason I'm able to persevere in the face of rampant misogyny is that I have autism. It doesn't occur to me when people are being passive aggressive a-holes because most of the time I just don't notice. Um, <laughs> and the only time I notice is when they like start doing paperwork to try to get me out of their hair. And I'm like, no, those are not the rules. That is not how this works. You can't do that. Um, autistic people are very about rules and structures. Sure. Um, so I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, it, it the reason I've been able to succeed in spite of all of these hurdles, which are continually put in front of me by old white men or old men in general, um, is that I just, I, I don't notice a lot of the time when they're being jerks. I'm like, Oh, okay. So, Oh, you're jealous and I'm making you uncomfortable. Sucks to be you and moving on. Like it doesn't bother me. I mean, of course on, on a fundamental level, of course it bothers me because this should not be the way it is, but it, it doesn't stop me from functioning in, in the ways that it might stop a neurotypical person from functioning. Like I'm sure if a neurotypical person, I'm sure there've been plenty of neurotypical people that have thought about doing what I just did, but for, for their own reasons, whatever they are, they probably go, Ooh, that might be a bad idea. And I'm like, man, I don't have tenure. You can fire me. I don't care. It's fine. I have built an online presence that is so thorough. And my, my, my studio, my online studio is now making me more money than the university is paying me. Wow. So yeah. why not bring yeah. it? Yeah, exactly. I am so inspired by you. And this is just, I love it. This is so cool. I, you know, I'm, that's the whole, yes. I am really excited to find out like what happens if you're able to incite some change there. And you know, I, I wish you all the best and I hope it works. I, I'm, sh I'm sure it will work in your favor. The fact that you were able to get on the stage with this, this subject matter is a very uh, good sign. And I, you know, I, I think so too. There are other people working for you here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's been apparent. I'm not, I'm not here to say that all men are bad because that's not the truth. That's not right. the truth. It's not, it's not the case at all. And in fact, if it wasn't for a few great men, few great teachers along the way, I wouldn't have even been in that position. Right. I had, I had incredible teachers who empowered me, you know, long ago to, to be myself, to do my thing and to do it to the best of my abilities and screw anybody else who wants to get in my way. Like that was, that was their, their sort of mantra. They're like, well, if they don't like it, that's on them, you know? Um, and that, that's, I have had people giving me that same pep talk since I was like 12. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm at a point now where I'm like, okay, guys, all right, I'm standing on the shoulders of greatness here. And I'm, I'm grateful for their, their pep talks, but now I'm here to give the pep talk to other young women and other young people with disabilities and say, go do your thing to the best of your abilities and to heck with anybody who like has a problem with it. Go do your thing. Provided okay. it's 
you know, positive and helpful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ideally. <laughs> Ideally. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I love it. Thank you so much for what you're doing for, for women and for, you know, for the next generation of musicians. It's really important work. Someone's got to do it. For sure. So I want to find out just a little bit more about your background. Um, and so you're originally from the Michigan area, from the UP, not far from Wisconsin, from the great state of Wisconsin, but we'll allow it. I'm an honorary <laughs> I, I did know. my undergrad at Northern Michigan University. Yeah. In Love it. Yeah. So you're, you're right from, a, yeah, from across the pond, as we say. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so what made you decide that you needed to be a musician? Like, how did you decide that that was your path? You're going to love this. This is, this happens in the TED talk and it's a, it's a funnier story at length. I didn't get to, because the TED talk was only 15 minutes. I could yeah. be basically just like, Oop, there's a thing. Um, so the longer version of this story and looking back on it, it absolutely has everything to do with the fact that I have autism because people with autism, when we are young, we have extended, um, extended egocentricity past where we would normally have it if we were neurotypical. So you know how like a kindergartner can really only uh, like fathom their world and that that's their world and that's all that exists. And then you show them something that happens outside of it. They're like, no, that's not a thing that doesn't happen in my world. Like complete egocentricity. Right. So one of the unifying characteristics of people with autism is that we are developmentally delayed in several aspects regarding, you know, our intellectual capacity to comprehend the world around us. So we preserve our egocentricity to different points in our lives, right? So that particular aspect of my egocentricity, that things in my home must be the way the world is, that sort of projection bias, if you will, that extended for a really long time. Like, a hilariously long time. Um, middle school. Middle school. Nice. Most people get over this when they're like five. <laughs> Six. No, no. I was like 10. Um, but anyway, so I grew up in a musical household and okay. my dad, my dad was a brilliant musician. My dad was like, known by friends and family to be sort of like a child prodigy. You know, he took up piano at a really young age and was really good at it. And I tell this story on the TED talk, but you know, my grandmother had like dozens of stories about him just being a mischievous genius where he would just like be really bored and just start writing out Mozart sonatas on his desk in study hall. Or he would he would get really bored in science class and he would just start playing imaginary stuff on the piano in his head because he was so bored. <clears throat> and so there's like so many stories of that. Um, but he was a brilliant pianist and a multi-instrumentalist. He played trombone, saxophone, and piano. Um, his favorite thing was ragtime. So I grew up listening to a lot of ragtime and um, Chopin, Debussy. Um, and my mom, uh, she's she's still with us. Uh, she She's a rock band vocalist. So she was never really trained. She was in high school choir and stuff. But um, she sang all the time, played guitar all the time. We were always listening to music. If it wasn't Led Zeppelin, it was Chicago. If it wasn't Chicago, it was Debussy, you know, like... There's, there was always music sort of happening in my house. And so when I was little, I just thought to myself, oh, this is what everyone does because egocentricity and projection bias. So, you know, when I started learning about other career options, you know, as a young kid, like, oh, so that person's a firefighter on the side. Like they really actually play saxophone. Like that's their <laughs> job. And so you're just a lawyer for fun, right? Right, right. <laughs> you know, that's how I saw the world. So it never occurred to me. It literally never occurred to me to do anything else. I just thought, oh, people are musicians. And then they have little things that they do on the side to like make them money. Right, right. And that, that extended into middle school. So I always knew that like I was going to do something musical and um, I just, you know, had to find a way to make money doing it. And when I, when I like learned when I finally learned the concept that, oh, wait, you can go to school to do music stuff. And wait, I could be a band. I could do band forever. <gasps> I want to go be a band director. And that, that was when the light bulb went off. And I was like, oh, I need to go be a music educator. I know a lot about this stuff. I could teach other people about this stuff. My grandmother was a kindergarten teacher for 36 years. She's singly the most brilliant teacher I've ever witnessed in my life. And um, so anyway, I was sort of taught by her to teach. And then my whole family is musical. So I was like, duh, music education. That makes sense. So that's, that's what did it. I was just like, oh, I could do this forever and make money doing it. I could pay my bills being a professional band nerd. <laughs> Love it's it. not you, IRS. <laughs> 
And when did you discover that you had autism along the way? About five months ago. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, whoo, it's been a ride. Um, so during the pandemic, uh, and after that first year review, which really rocked my entire foundation of, of who I am and why I'm doing what I am and, and should I be doing this? And is this the right job for me? That kind of thing. I sought counseling because I was really depressed about this. I'm like, how can I keep doing a good job? And people keep getting mad at me for it. Like, how can this happen? Why is this this way? What's wrong with me? What's the problem here? And so in talking to my counselor, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, you talk about your past and your traumas and this and that and the other thing. And so after about a month and a half or two months of counseling, uh, she said, well, have you ever been, uh, have you ever considered that you might be autistic? And I said, no, 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 no. I'm not one of those people. Cause when you think autism, you think of people who are non-functioning, like nonverbal or cannot do for themselves, like that type of autism. But autism is a spectrum, obviously. Um, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm perfectly functional. I can take care of myself, et cetera, et cetera. And then she started to list off like using scenarios, the different aspects of autism and how they operate. And I was like, oh yeah, I do that. No, that makes total sense. Yeah, da, 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 da. and like every single thing that she listed off, she's like, so we should pursue an autism diagnosis because I think it would be helpful. And I said, okay, if it helps me feel better about you know myself as a human being, myself as a teacher, if it helps me be more effective in this world, sure, let's do that. And you know, um, back in, I think August, no, yeah, late August, is when I got my official diagnosis as um, level one, uh, no, like no accommodations, level one um, autism spectrum disorder. It's more commonly known uh, as Asperger's syndrome. Um, and the more I read about it, the more I do my research, um, it's, it's actually not surprising that I was looked over as a young kid because I was so developmentally, uh, developmentally advanced intellectually. So when, like, cause I went to a small school district in Northern Michigan, um, you know, no one was screening for autism in little girls in 1989. Like no one was doing that. They're like, oh, look, you're smart. You can read, you can write, you can do for yourself. You understand rules, you understand social cues. Yeah, you're fine. Um, <laughs> but right, that was right. not at all the case. And I also grew up in extreme poverty so in addition to having autism and having trouble with the world, um, I also, I, I chalked that up to uh, like tr PTSD, traumatic reaction to what was going on at home. And um, so I always just thought that like, oh, I'm just a really scarred individual. Like I have rules about things for myself because I was really traumatized as a child. Um, and that's only half the case apparently. So, uh, and in addition, you know, women, in this society, we're taught to mask from a really young age. You know, if you're uncomfortable, don't let someone know you're uncomfortable because they might hurt you. You know, if you're on a date and you get a weird feeling, you need to find a very graceful way out of that instead of just saying, hey, I am a, I'm uncomfortable, you need to stop. Like, that's not what we're taught. So we're taught to mask at a young age. For a person with autism, we mask 24 seven. The only time we don't mask is when we are by ourselves. And I've always felt that way. I've always felt like I was like an outsider looking in on the world. Um, but I just didn't know why. And when I received my autism diagnosis, everything made sense. I was like, oh, that's why being in front of people is so exhausting. That's why being in chaotic environments involving like little, little kids, like I, I get sensory overload. I have panic attacks. I start seeing like all kinds of flashy, flashy lights. Um, my synesthesia starts to go haywire when I hear children crying, yelling, and screaming. And it's it's sensory overload for me. I always just thought I was scarred for life because I had a chaotic household. That's apparently not the case. And I'm grateful for that. But uh, it's nonetheless the case that I have trouble with those sorts of environments because I have autism. And, and so I only, like I said, I only learned this just a few months ago. You know, it's November. It's not even five months, August, September, October, November, like four months ago. Um, but it made the whole of my world make sense. Every aspect of why I do what I do in the ways that I do it uh, makes perfect sense. And I'm really grateful to have a very understanding partner. Um, you know, cause some of, some of my, some of my accommodations, like personal accommodations, um, would end other relationships, I think, uh, especially those involving children, but we're able, I mean, 
we live at a distance anyway, so it's not really that much of a deal, a big deal, but you know, like he understands that, you know, I, I can only spend a limited amount of time with him and his son before my brain just stops. Like I can only tolerate that much chaos for a little while. And then I start to panic and have sensory overload. And he's been very accommodating. So I'm grateful for that. But um, yeah, so that's that's the recent story. And that's the recent TED Talk and, and all of that. I love it. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think just, you know, hearing that from you, it's, it's going to help a lot of people kind of, you know, think about their own their own story and, you know, maybe do some digging into, into their own their own selves. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really fascinating. Um, I'd like to just find out you, you like what, what really attracted me to like want to learn more about you and, and have a conversation with you is just like you seem to really, you know, have down such a great personality, such a great business savvy, such a great tech savvy with what you do as a musician besides just being a great musician. Because um, and, you know, this podcast is really geared towards the, the working work musician. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much more to being a musician than just playing music. And I just like to find out like where you picked up a lot of this information and like what you would encourage other people to do uh, in with their business sense. Sure. Um, so I have a very good friend. Uh, his name is Josh Zepka. And he is sort of my go-to guy when I run into a snag with things online, when I'm trying to do something new and trying to understand how this, this marketing thing works or this online thing works. He has a... a video series that he does called mute Mondays right now. Like he's been reviewing mutes and he's literally writing an entire book on like all the different mutes for trumpet. Um, but he is singly like the most web savvy marketing savvy musician I think I've ever met in my life. Um, and so, so one of the things I learned, um, actually while I was, uh, while I was freelancing full time, I would listen to podcasts and I listened to a lot of Tim Ferriss. Like that's where I get a lot of, or got a lot of my like beginners, web savvy, beginners, business savvy was just checking out his podcasts, podcasts, checking out his books. Um, I read the four hour work week a long time ago. And then I read, uh, well, I, you don't read, but I picked up the, uh, the four hour body and what Tim Ferriss does and the way he does it is in my opinion, one of the most efficient ways to reinvent yourself. He's constantly reinventing his, his brand, his bag, what he does. Um, and what, what Tim Ferriss does is in, if he wants to know a thing and it seems really, it seems really straightforward when you just think about it, when he wants to know a thing, he finds a specialist in that field, the best one that he can actually talk to. And he talks to them. It's that, it's that simple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really that simple. And not everyone is that gracious with their time. Not everyone wants to talk to Joe Schmo who wants to know a thing. Um, but if you, if you approach them in a professional way and offer, you know, whatever you can, if it's, if it's like, Oh, I'd like to take a lesson with you and get your advice on such and such, or, Hey, can I buy you coffee? I have some questions, you know, whatever those things are, find someone doing the thing that you want to do and ask them questions and then take those answers and make an action plan and put it into action. I think I've probably done that like <laughs> 20 times in 10 years, at least, you know, um, and I get different, different information from different people doing different things. Um, but you know, that's, that's the starting place is just going out and finding someone who's doing what you think that you want to do. And then just asking them questions about how they did it. And, and then doing those things. That's the, that's the part where people really like lose the battle. They're like, okay, I'm going to go find this specialist and I'm going to buy them coffee and I'm going to ask them a bunch of questions. And then they do nothing with that information. Right. Right. Um, and Josh would probably argue that I'm one of those people. I use your information, Josh. If you're listening, I do. I just do it in different ways. Um, (laughs) but, um, you gotta have follow through. Like if you don't have a whiteboard or a notebook or, or something to write this stuff down and go, okay, I'm going to do this thing. These are the steps to do it. And now I'm going to just tick, 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 tick and do it. Um, my problem is that I have so many irons in the fire that I'm just like, ah, I have all the things to do and I don't know where to start. Right. right. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm coming to learn that that's an executive function uh, uh, <laughs> problem that's often associated with ADHD and uh, which is comorbid with <laughs> autism. 
Um, anyway, so that's, that's, that's really what I've done several times in the last 15 years is like, I would go find someone like one of my, one of my best stories about this, um, is with Rasan Barber. Um, he's a saxophonist. He was based in Nashville and I think he's teaching now. I forget at what school exactly, but anyway, at the time when I met Rasan, he was giving a masterclass at IU and he gave a great masterclass on the music industry and what he's doing as a jazz saxophonist to promote himself. And I'm like, I want to be doing that. I want, I want to do that. That's cool. So I came up to him after the clinic. I said, Hey, uh, I don't know if you have time, but I have a ton of questions. I, I have my own band. I'm trying to do exactly what you're doing. I'd love to pick your brain. And he says, well, I have to leave for tour in the morning. So I'm kind of booked, but if you're willing to do coffee at like 7am, can we do like steak and shake? I'm like, yeah, no problem. I'll be there. So I got there and he refused to let me buy him coffee because he's a gentleman. Um, <laughs> there are and, some other uh, <laughs> Yeah, right. And after about the first like three or four questions about like, okay, so I have my own band and I want to do this. And okay, so you have an album. How did you do that? And how do you go about licensing? And how did the, the, the and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. How old are you? And I was I think I was like 28 at the time. And he's like, listen, you and I are the same age. Let's just be friends. Would can we do that? Yeah. I'm I'm in no position to be a mentor teacher kind of person. Can we just be friends and then I'll just answer your questions and buy you coffee? And I'm like, sure. And we've really been friends, like good friends ever since. Like we call and check on each other and just make sure everything's good. Um, but he's those interactions are are really what's helped me navigate this weird music industry that we're living in is just doing stuff like that and if and and here's the other part for me personally i make a really 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 uh like adamant point about paying it forward so if someone comes to me like you you're just like hey i want to ask you questions about what you do and how you do it um yes please ask me that's what i want to do i want to help people so you know, if, if anybody out there listening wants to ask me questions about any aspect of this stuff, you feel, yeah, I mean, feel free to contact me on Instagram and Facebook or wherever. I'm happy to answer questions. I'm happy to pay this information forward because there were so many people who were kind to me and helped me along the way. Great attitude to have. Really, really nice. Is there any particular piece of advice you would have to give to someone just starting to work in, in the music field right now? Be versatile. Be versatile and be open to to different avenues. Um, you know, to say that any musician is making their a hundred percent of their income using one one revenue stream anymore is is hardly the truth. Um, like my, I mean, if you take my my you know revenue streams for instance, like I work at the university, I teach online lessons. But I also do TikTok, which uh, pays me monthly, but they pay me per view. So when I get a certain amount of views of something, they pay me, it drops into an account. I can only access it after 30 days, though. So it's it's a monthly paycheck, but it's really not. Um, and then I, I also do lives. So that's uh, that's a live like tip situation, you know, performing for, you know, people and they tip you. Um and then, you know, I'm an Amazon affiliate. I'm a um, one funnel away challenge affiliate. I do a ton of affiliate marketing, which provides me passive income on top of all of my active income. I've often thought to myself, well, what if I could make everything passive and then I could just live wherever I wanted and do whatever. And every time I ask myself that question, I'm like, but I really like teaching. I, I don't think I would stop teaching. Even if I had like millions of dollars coming in, in passive income, I think I would still teach. I think I would still just play music and try to help people. So um, yeah, just be versatile and be open to new opportunities when they come across your path. Um, that being said, make sure you have enough uh, moxie and enough uh, skills to back up when you say yes, yes is the single most important word that you will ever, ever use and never underestimate the meaning of no. <laughs> like no is a very special word and we all need to learn how to say it. Um, I learned that one the hard way in undergrad, but um, you know, yes is probably the most powerful word, word, word we have because it can shape our future. Yes, I can do that project. Yes, I can give that masterclass. Yes, I can play that studio hit or whatever. But no 
is our most powerful self-preservation word. No it is, is hard for a lot of people to say, but it's so important to get comfortable with saying no, because you might not have, you, your mouth might be writing checks that your skills cannot <laughs> cash and you need to know where that line is. Um, I'm super lucky. I can say yes to a lot of things and I have the skills to back it up. Not everybody is that lucky. Not everybody has that same drive that I've had to finish four degrees in you know, however many years, like just know, know your limits, but remember the power of just those two words. Yes. And no. I love that. That was fabulous. Thank you so much for giving us that. Um, sure. And then is there anything else that you wanted to talk about today that we didn't get to? Um, if you, if you're a musician right now, especially because pandemic, um, and you don't own a, a good audio setup, you should definitely, <laughs> definitely invest in a good audio setup. And I can send you a link, um, to, to my go-to setup, which is very inexpensive. It's like two ninety nine for a beautiful, like pseudo ribbon mic, um, an interface and all the cables and the headphones and everything. It's like 299 bucks. Honestly, I use it for every single recording that I do from home and it has, it has paid for itself a hundred times over. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely worth it. Who knows how long we're going to be doing this. And, and even beyond that, like so much music, so many great things have come out of doing, um, to doing music this way. Mm-hmm. Um, that odds are a lot of people are going to continue performing this way. Oh, I um, agree. Yeah. Beyond the pandemic. So when, once things have settled down, so it's, it's definitely worth, worth investing a little bit into the technology right now. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll try to, I'll try to get that link to you like after this, after okay. this zoom. Perfect. Um, yeah, I use a uh, Scarlet focus, right. Um, it's like an all in one studio thing, but I got it at NAM last year and it, like I said, it's paid for itself a million times over. It's awesome. It super high quality, um, very portable. Like you need to take it someplace, you know, take it to a church, take it to an acoustic environment that suits you fine. Um, and I use free software to do all my recording. I use GarageBand. So if people are like, Oh, I can't afford pro tools. Okay. Then don't (laughs) get a Mac and start running GarageBand. Perfect. Yeah. And then where can we find you? Where, where, where can we find Lexi Signor on online? Yep. Um, so I have several Instagram accounts, but my, my, tr- my personal trumpet Instagram account is at L E X S I G Z at Lex Sigs on Instagram. Um, and Winifred also has her own Instagram. If you want to check out about, check out what yes. she's doing, she is at official Winnie Sanderson on Instagram, uh, on Instagram. Um, you can find me on TikTok. I'm professor. What's her face. It's all separated with dashes because now that Winifred exists, no one cares that I play trumpet on TikTok, um, which is a lie, but not very many people care in comparison <laughs> to Winnie. Um, Winnie is official Winnie Sanderson on TikTok. Uh, my website, which I don't update a ton. It's basically just there as a calling card, uh, is the lady And you can find me on Facebook. I'm Lexi Signor on Facebook, L-E-X-I-E-S-I-G-N-O-R on Facebook. Uh, my business is called cat of many hats, LLC. You can also find that, uh, under the musicians of the internet marketplace page on Facebook. So that's actually a forum that I'm at. I'm going to be giving a tutorial today on how to build your online studio. Like I, I, like I said, now I've built my online studio to a point where I'm making more money teaching online lessons than I am at the university and you can do it too. And I can show you how. So yeah, it's awesome. Um, so cat of many hats, LLC under musicians of the internet marketplace on, on Facebook. Uh, and let's see, I think that's it. Oh uh, yeah. Those are the places. <laughs> Great. And then we were just discussing a piece that you're going to, um, send along to us to play after this. Can yeah. you tell us just a little bit about that? Yes. So my friend Jose Johnson also has a podcast. Um, it's called the Trumpet Guru Hang. And he talks to great trumpeters from all over the country, all over the world. And um, I was one of his first guests on the show. Actually, Jay and I were some of his first guests so early on that he was only doing audio, which was funny because now he's doing video. Um, and we had jokingly mentioned, oh, I should write your theme song. And then I got really bored one day and I wrote his theme song. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so nice. I, I constructed this fanfare, which is loosely based on um, the bridge from Get It On. I just changed, I changed the chords and the, you know, 
overlaying structure, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then I put it to like a, like a trance groove in the beginning. Um, and it works great. So he kept it and I'll send it to you at, like, I'll send you the fanfare and then I'll also send you the, the mixed version. And then all of these parts are you playing. Performing. Yes. They're all me yes. playing. Yes. yes. So for those listening, um, cause it will include the visual, the, the video of it in the show notes. But, um, for those listening, it's, it's all Lexi. Yep. All, all, me. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so all the high awesome. notes. All yeah. the high notes. <laughs> And the video is funny. It's just me going like, right, right. Yeah, it's really here? cute. So, so definitely check out the video as well. So Lexi, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. It's so much fun to get to know you and to, to learn about your, your, your motivation, your goals and, and your, your, you know, just general, um, your drive and your musicianship. So thank you so much for, for doing this today. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Have an awesome day and I'll get you that stuff. All right. You too. Sounds good. Right. Bye-bye. The Musicians Venture Podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again.